from Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. The federal budget promised $3.2 billion to be spent on policies that improve the lives of Australian women. But despite that pledge, a critical frontline service that supports women being discriminated against at work has lost much of its funding and now faces closure. Today, Royce Kermilovs on the future of the Working Women's Centres. Royce, can you tell me about where this story starts for you? So the story really begins with the Northern Territory, South Australian and Queensland Working Women's Centres, who in the months leading up to the 2021 federal budget have been lobbying hard in order to try and get the money they needed to not only keep their centres alive, but also rebuild the network of centres that once operated across the country. Royce Kermilovs wrote about Working Women's Centres in the latest issue of the Saturday paper. Those centres essentially provide a a key frontline service helping navigate issues in the workplace from underpayment to sexual harassment for women. So we were trying to obviously gain some traction regarding our concerns for funding. Um, Nikki Petru, she's the director of the Northern Territory Working Women's Centre. And on the Monday night before the budget, Nikki, uh, along with her counterpart from Queensland, Fiona, flew to Canberra to basically lobby the nation's political leadership and they met with the you know, people across across the political spectrum. So we were trying to speak to various members of parliament on, on all sides because it's about getting, you know, support uh, to ensure that women in the work uh, who work have got services, specialist services, to support them when something goes wrong. They met with Attorney General Michaelia Cash, Labor Senators Jenny McAllister and Penny Wong. Basically, they met with any federal figure they could convince to give them time. And what happened in those meetings? Um, There they talked about the the funding structures for the centres that they run. They told the politicians that the centres needed $700,000 a year just to keep their doors open. We wanted to make sure that working women's centres weren't forgotten and that we were there and we were at at some point at the forefront of someone's mind that, that we needed to exist and why we needed to exist. So we went there on the basis that we were hoping we could at least secure something in the current budget. They said that if the government seriously wanted to rebuild the network of centres that once spanned the country and had been whittled down to just two, the cost would be $20 million. So for Nikki and Fiona, for them, this was an obvious decision to provide funding. Particularly what's been happening at the federal level and around women's workplace safety it just reminds us about that we're not there yet in providing fair and safe workplaces for women. This budget in particular, as, as we all well know, it was being sold as a, um, a shift away from austerity politics and it was supposed to include this big spending women's budget. Josh Frydenberg joining wife Amy for a Canberra fun run, accompanied by an unmistakable political message. This budget is ditching tradie yellow for fluoro pink kind of for the government to reset itself in the wake of the Brittany Higgins revelations and the allegations against Christian Porter. So it just seemed like a really easy political win-win that would help, you know, rebuild this essential service while also allowing the uh, federal government to reorganise. There is a standalone substantial women's budget statement uh, and it not only details the economic impact of COVID on women, but also the details around the... But, you know, when the budget was released, when they were flicking through the pages, the first thing they went to was the section that included them, looking to see if their efforts had paid off, and essentially it hadn't. 
So tell me about that. When they started looking through the budget to see if they had managed to secure any funding, what did they find? Uh, Very little is what they found. Um, It was basically bad news. So 31 pages into the women's specific economic budget, they discovered that there was just $200,000 that had been allocated to keep the Queensland and Northern Territory centres open. Um, This was money that that they later found out was intended to be shared between the centres, which compounded the problem further. Um, And essentially, it was going to just buy them a couple more months of operation. And can you tell me a bit more about the working women's centres? What would it mean for them to close and and for the women who use them to lose access to the services that they provide? Yeah, so for a lot of people, you know, they would never have heard the Working Women's Centres. And this is for two reasons. The first is if you've never had to rely upon their services, you don't know if they exist. And the second is that they've never been given enough money to be able to have a marketing budget to let people know that they exist. Um, so the first Working Women's Centres were founded in 1979, um, and they were, you know, designed to provide industrial and workplace relations support for women who couldn't otherwise get access to a union, a lawyer, or other advocate. Um, The issues that they covered ranged from wage theft through to maternity leave and sexual harassment and assault in the workplace. So they had a pretty broad remit. Um, And over time, that network grew to in the early 90s when nearly every state and territory had its own centre. But then through a combination of bad planning, bad funding, and a lack of interest, what you've seen is them slowly shut down since. The New South Wales Centre was the first to shut. It was That was 2005, then Tasmania followed a year later. Uh, now Queensland Centre um, lost its funding back in 2016. And if you really want to make a change, and which is what this government is saying with their current budget, then you have to seriously invest in these issues and in the services already existing on the ground who've got the histories, who've got the experience and who've got the expertise to respond. For Nikki, uh, who is running the centre, for her the consequences were immediately obvious. Essentially what they knew in that moment was that they were facing closure. It'll be a crying shame. Uh, It certainly will be in the Northern Territory because Um, it would leave women without any specialist support. And it just just makes me really sad to think about that we get to that. We'll be back in a moment. The Every Moment Matters campaign provides accurate, evidence-based information and advice about alcohol, pregnancy and breastfeeding. It has been created by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education and endorsed and funded by the Australian Government. Alcohol use during pregnancy can lead to Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder, or FASD, a lifelong disability. So make the moment you start trying the moment to stop drinking. Visit everymomentmatters.org.au to find out more. The City of London in Andrew O'Hagan's latest novel is crumbling. But don't mistake this for pessimism. Instead, the author insists it's a necessary process for a better future. Change doesn't just happen because it's time for a change. Change has to be forced. We live in the end not in countries that are settled places. They're just imagined communities. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's Read This, I sit down with Andrew O'Hagan to discuss his latest, Caledonian Road. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Without working women's centres, what options will women, and I think specifically women who have less resources available to them, have in terms of finding somewhere that will be able to help them when they're discriminated against? 
for people who rely on the service, there is very little else out there. Um, if you're not a member of a union, immediately for any number of reasons. If you're, you know, if you don't have access to a commercial lawyer, who, especially one who has experience and knowledge of a particular area, um, if you don't have access to an advocate, it's very hard to know where to go to get advice, support, and representation in these matters. Um, and the power dynamic here is, I guess, vast. If you're a, if you're a person working at an organization or a company. Um, those companies have access to vast resources, whereas if you're just if you're just an employee, you're basically on your own. And that was ostensibly why these were uh, these centres were set up to begin with. And while they were in operation and you know, steadily building, Australia had a very good reputation on these issues for being ahead of the curve. Since we've lost that, what you've seen is you know more and more people not knowing where to go and people um, winding up in trouble. When I found out that the Anti-Working Women's Centre was under threat, I did um, have a bit of disbelief, actually. I didn't think it was as serious of, as a problem as, as it was, and I kind of thought, well, that, that's ridiculous in the, in the given climate. I'm sure that that will get... In doing the story, when I spoke to Emma Sharp, who was a former client of the Working Women's Centre, um, she was just a combination of, you know, shocked and furious that these centres were potentially going to close because they helped her at a very critical moment. So the Working Women's Centre just supported me with um, my own personal issue uh, around my entitlements and the case actually lasted for about 11 months. It was good to have um, have a, a voice, someone that I could go and, and speak to. You know, she's a 35-year-old from Lloyd Creek in the Northern Territory and, and her problem, which she sought help for in 2017, involved a really complicated legal issue around maternity leave for mothers with premature babies. It was very confusing, not just for um, employees, but also for employers and, and that left um, families obviously at a disadvantage in, in cases like mine. It, it turned out there were a lot of a lot of women and families that were having either identical or very similar issues. And as an illustration about how important these services are, when she originally called for uh, you know advice onto a onto a helpline that was provided, her advice was, "Oh well, your your issue involves the Fair Work Act. You will never change it. It's just that's just the way it is." But thanks to the role of the Working Women's Centres and their organisation, they were then able to put together a campaign, get other um, women in the same situation together to lobby various state and federal politicians and uh, change that law was eventually passed that resolved the problem so no one else would have to go through it. Yeah, it's, this is not just about me. It's about every other woman that needs to use these centres and, and have access to the support. Um, it's just going to be such a loss if we if we lose them. And Royce, is there any sense that the government might still step in and save these centres? You said the budget decision means that the the NT centre is likely to close this year, but will perhaps the NT government or someone else step in and fund what they do? Whether or not the federal government will step in to support these centres is a very good question. On the one hand, there is no reason why they shouldn't. The amount of money being asked for is tiny compared to other sums. And it's yeah, and it would ostensibly it fits in with the coalition's policy agenda. Since the story was published, I've also learned that the Labor and Greens have contacted the centres and and offered their unconditional support to secure funding. It's just a question of whether politics gets in the way and how this plays out. Um, however, the problem ultimately is a, is much is much bigger. It's one about consistent recurring funding that allows these services to plan, to coordinate, and to continue to exist without the kind of stop start um, approach that they're currently having to survive, which in, inevitably entails the loss of staff, the loss of expertise, the loss of insight, and, and a smaller client base. It's you know if if this model is allowed to continue as as it is it will essentially be kind of, you know, death by a thousand cuts. 
And Royce, just finally, do you have any thoughts on how this looks for the federal government? You've mentioned a few times um, the Brittany Higgins allegations and the fallout and the headlines we've seen from that, the emphasis on this budget being a budget for women. So do you think this looks bad? Does it look like the, the commitment is there in words but not in action? I think this absolutely looks bad for the government, especially given their focus on attempting to reset, to to market themselves as, uh, as, as listening to the concerns of women, especially in the wake of the Women's March and the Brittany Higgins allegations. I think, I think for the coalition, the risk is that if they fail to act on this meaningfully, it will just be read as another situation where the coalition is all talk where it is more about the spin or the perception that it is being on, you know, it is taking women's, you know, women seriously when it is actually not going through with what's required to, to actually meet that commitment. Royce, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. This year, the Saturday paper celebrates 10 years as Australia's leading independent newspaper. In that time, it's built a peerless reputation for quality journalism, for telling stories that are ignored elsewhere. It's the essential account of the week in politics, culture and news. When you read the Saturday paper, you don't need to read anything else. Subscribe today from just $2.10 per week. Visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash subscribe. The Saturday Paper. The whole story. Also in the news today, Victoria's latest outbreak of COVID-19 is at a critical juncture, with health officials closely watching case numbers before making further decisions on additional restrictions. On Wednesday, total case numbers linked to the current outbreak reached 15, with dozens of new exposure sites listed across the city. The Victorian government has said it's boosting testing capacity to help stay on top of the spread of the virus. Meanwhile, the AFL has begun ordering Victorian clubs into a seven-day lockdown to minimise the risk of exposure among players and staff. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.